Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. Well, we saw two failed attempts to get the plates, and now the boys are in a cavity of a rock, and an angel has just told them that the Lord will provide them with the plates and with Laban. Laban and Lemuel are fearful of Laban. He has armies. What about those armies? Well, Nephi tries to remind them that they'll just be faithful. The Lord will take care of them. All right, let's go over and see this attempt, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass that I spake unto my brethren, saying, Let us go up again unto Jerusalem, and let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. For behold, he is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban and his fifty, yea, or even his tens of thousands? Therefore let us go up, let us be strong like unto Moses. For he truly spake unto the waters of the Red Sea, and they divided hither and thither, and our fathers came through out of captivity on dry ground. And the armies of Pharaoh did follow, and were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. Now behold, ye know that this is true, and ye also know that an angel has spoken unto you. Wherefore can ye doubt? Let us go up. The Lord is able to deliver us, even as our fathers, and to destroy Laban, even as the Egyptians." So Nephi is doing his best to get them on board. He reminded them of their belief in the law of Moses and what Moses had done and how they went through the Red Sea. This is a story that the Jews hear from the time they're very young. They have strong belief and gratitude for what Moses did for them. And then he tries to remind them that they saw an angel and what the angel said. Come on, you guys, how can you doubt now? You saw the angel. But the brothers were mad at him and still murmured, but they decided to follow him anyway. He told them to find a place to hide outside the city, and Nephi went into the city. Well, the gates of the city are closed at night, so he would have had to get in through a small door or a window in the gate that only those who were entitled to get through would go. Some have said that the opening was small, maybe only a two feet by two feet square opening. He could have presented himself as a weary traveler, and just be trying to get in would not have attracted too much attention just for him by himself so the brothers had to remain without the gates i imagine them asking what the plan was but nephi didn't know he went on faith and how do we know that because in verse 6 he says i was led by the spirit not knowing beforehand the things which i should do he was counting on the lord for help Remember when I told you that Harold B. Lee said that you must learn to walk to the edge of the light and perhaps a few steps into the darkness or the unknown and you'll find that the light will appear and move ahead of you? Well, this is Nephi with his faith, walking out into the, dark, the darkness or the unknown, counting on the Lord to show him the way from here. Have you ever gone forth not knowing beforehand what you should do? Grandpa and I have stepped out into the darkness many times not knowing beforehand what we should do. We've made many moves in our life, each time having faith in the Lord that what he's asking us to do was what we should do. And other moves have just been putting our faith in him, not knowing beforehand what we were supposed to do. The benefit of hindsight is much better as we look back and see the Lord's hand in everything we've done. But without having eyes to see the future, it's awful hard sometimes to step out into the darkness. Now, as Nephi comes into the city and close to Laban's house, he sees a man laying on the ground in front of him, drunk. He comes to him and he finds it's Laban. So what do we know about Laban? We know he likes to drink. A lot. The Jews loved festivals and any occasion to celebrate. And often at these celebrations, there was huge quantities of food and drink. We know also that he at one time had commanded a garrison of 50 men. We know that he had control of the treasury. We know that he was in charge. 
probably not because of his abilities, but because of his ancestors who had the job before him. We also know that in his house were all the records. We also know he was a large man, mainly because we see Nephi put on his armor. We also know he's greedy and a thief. He took all of the boy's possessions. It doesn't necessarily sound like best friend material, right? Now Nephi comes close and sees Laban dressed in his full ceremonial armor with his sword. This sword of Laban will play a very important role in the next few years for Nephi and those who follow. King Benjamin had it and then turned it over to his son, Mosiah. The three witnesses also were given the promise that they would see it. They not only saw the sword of Laban, but they also saw the plates and the Urim and Thummim. David Whitmer said, it, said this, Joseph, Oliver, and myself were together when I saw them, the plates. We not only saw the plates of the Book of Mormon, but also the brass plates, the plates of the Book of Ether, and many other plates. There appeared, as it were, a table with many records or plates upon it. Besides the plate of the Book of Mormon, also the sword of Laban, the directors, the ball which Lehi had, and the interpreters. I saw them as plainly as I see this bed. He struck it, struck the bed beside him with his hand. And I heard the voice of the Lord as distinctly as I've ever heard anything in my life, declaring that the records of the plates of the Book of Mormon were translated by the gift and power of God. That was in a historical record. Okay, back to verse 9. And I beheld his sword, and I drew it forth from the sheath thereof. And the hilt thereof was of pure gold, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. And I saw that the blade thereof was of the most precious steel. I laugh at this because Hugh Nibley says that he was such a, a typical young man that he picked up Laban's sword and admired it and talked about it and talked about what it looked like and, and how exciting it was. So he said he just, was just a typical young man admiring this piece of metal that he found, this beautiful precious steel. Okay, back to 10. And it came to pass that I was constrained by the Spirit that I should kill Laban. But I said in my heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of man. And I shrunk and would not that I might not slay him. And the Spirit said unto me again, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Yea, and I also knew that he had sought to take away mine own life. Yea, and he would not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. And he also had taken away our property. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me, unto me again, Slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring, bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Nephi did not want to kill Laban. I agree with David Ridges. This was not an easy task for Nephi. He struggled with it. He struggled for nine verses with it. He had never killed anyone before, and he surely did not want to start now. But the Spirit continued telling him that this is why the Lord sent him in there. He has delivered him into his hands. And what was the reason the Lord gave? He said it's better for one man to perish than a whole nation dwindle in unbelief. Who would be the ones who would have dwindled in unbelief? Well, Nephi and his family, and the generations that came after. Nephi says his family and future generations would need these words and these commandments that are on these plates. From that old student manual that I talked about, it said, It should be remembered that the Lord gave Laban at least two chances to part with the brass plates without requiring his life. Laban was a liar, a robber, and he had at least twice sought to murder. 
Stealing and attempted murder could both be punishable by death. The Lord wanted Lehi and his descendants to have the scriptural record, even if one man should perish for it that to happen. That was in the student manual. I said this last time, and I'll say it again. Nephi did not have to tell us the things that he did. He could have let this whole story out. Listen to Rodney Turner. He's a religious professor at BYU. This is what he said. Nephi was over 40 years old when he wrote this account. He had become well acquainted with the Holy Ghost and knew the difference between his own thoughts and divine revelation. His action has been totally unpremeditated. He had gone to Laban's house not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. As for his account, he could just as well have written that Laban was already dead when he found him, or provided some other plausible explanation. We would be none the wiser. But Nephi was a truthful man. He wrote it as it happened. The affair was a trial of faith. The Lord could easily have procured the record some other way, but he deliberately placed Nephi in a dilemma. Obtain and safeguard the plates as commanded, or let Laban live. If Laban lived, the mission would fail. For even if the plates could be obtained by stratagem, Laban would certainly know who had taken them. That was uh, Rodney Turner. Okay, Nephi does as the Lord commands, and then he goes to get the plates. This is in verse 19. And after I had smitten off his head with his own sword, I took the garments of Laban and put them upon mine own body, yea, even every wit, and I did gird on his armor about my loins. Grandpa and I were reading this the other day, and I stopped and said, Ew! He put on the garments of Laban. Were they stinky and bloody? Grossed me out just a little bit. Okay, back to 20. And after I had done this, I went forth unto the treasury of Laban. And as I went forth towards the treasury of Laban, behold, I saw the servant of Laban who had the keys of the treasury. And I commanded him in the voice of Laban that he should go with me into the treasury. And he supposed me to be his master Laban, for he beheld the garments and also the sword girded about my loins. And he spake unto me concerning the elders of the Jews, he knowing that his master Laban had been out by night among them. And I spake unto him as if it had been Laban. He now tells Zoram, the servant, that he needed to take the plates of brass to his brethren, and Zoram thinks he's talking about the brethren of the church, so he follows him. The question has been asked, how did the voice of Nephi change so that Zoram did not know it was Laban? They would have walked, had to walk a considerable distance to get to the gates of the city. Did the Lord change Nephi's voice or Zoram's hearing? I know it's dark, and I know that they don't have good lighting, but I wonder if Nephi's voice became changed. I'm sure Zorm, being with him, now allows the gates of the city, which are closed at night, to be opened to allow them to go outside. And when the boys see them coming out, they're frightened and they begin to run because they thought Laban had killed Nephi and had come to kill them. But Nephi stopped them and told him it was him. And now it's Zorm's turn to be frightened. He hears his voice and realizes that he is not Laban. And he turned to run as well, and it says Nephi grabbed him and held on to him so he couldn't run. This is just me again. I imagine him picking him up by the nape of the neck and dangling him up off the ground, but that's just me. So now here we see Nephi make an oath again. And remember when we talked about oaths. These are very important to the people of the Middle East. There is nothing more sacred to them than a solemn oath. Some have said that most would give up their life rather than break an oath. Okay, let's go over to uh, verse 32. And it came to pass that I spake with him, that if he would hearken unto my words, as the Lord liveth and as I live, even so that if he would hearken unto our words, we would spare his life. 
And I spake unto him even with an oath that he did not fear, that he would be a free man like unto us if he would go down in the wilderness with us. And I also spake unto him, saying, Surely, surely the Lord hath commanded us to do this thing, and shall we not be diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord? Therefore, if thou wilt go down into the wilderness to my father, thou shalt have place with us. Well, Zorm is now okay, now that he's heard Nephi's oath, and now he too makes an oath back to them. This is in 37, and it came to pass that when Zoram had made an oath unto us, our fears did cease concerning him. They were afraid that Zoram would go back and tell the Jews that what Nephi had done, and they would then know where they were and come after them. Hugh Nibley says that in the Middle East, not every oath will do. To be most binding and solemn, an oath should be by the life of something, even if it's but a blade of grass. So we see that the only way that Nephi could possibly have pacified the struggling Zoram in an instant was to utter the one oath that no man would dream of breaking, the most solemn oath of all oaths to the Semite, as the Lord liveth and as I live. That was Hugh Nibley. Well, in Jesus' time, he replaced the making of oaths, and said we no longer needed to do that. And to make oaths instead, what did he ask us to do? Just keep our word. Elder Richard G. Scott said, The bedrock of character is integrity. Worthy character will strengthen your capacity to respond obediently to the direction of the Spirit. Righteous character is what you are becoming. It's more important than what you own, what you've learned, or what goals you've accomplished. It allows you to be trusted. Righteous character provides the foundation of spiritual strength. It enables you in times of trial and testing to make difficult, extremely important decisions correctly, even when they seem overpowering. That was Elder Richard G. Scott. We need to remember that God always keeps his word. When he tells us he will do something, we can count on it. I wonder what people will say of us. When we give our word, would they say about us, mm, I'm not worried about them because they gave me their word. And when they did, my fears did cease. So, until next time. <music>